Hey, everybody. Mary, a week away from Christmas. Y'all could be seated. I hope y'all were blessed by what just happened because I am blessed by what just happened. Oh, my goodness. We have some talent among us, do we not? Good, good stuff. What a worship team we have. And just to hear what just happened up here is, is amazing. And I want to welcome you all to the Sunday before Christmas. And if you are unaware, if you don't know, we are having a service next Sunday morning, Christmas Day, because it, after all, it is about the birth of Jesus, right? So I, I don't see how we could not have something on Sunday morning when we're celebrating Christmas, which is about the birth of Jesus, and say we're celebrating the birth of Jesus, right? So we have to, it'd be brief, it will be geared toward that, we're not going to take up your whole day, but we'll be here at 9 o'clock next Sunday morning celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, so let's get here, let's do that, and then go retreat, spend time with our families, do what we normally do on, on Christmas, and celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. You know, we, we, we decided to do this series in, in December talking about fear, and it seems more apropos to do a Halloween or October series talking about fear because the boogeyman and all that kind of stuff that happens around Halloween. But this, this is what, when, when the angel speaks fear not, speaking to specific fears in our life, and week one it was fear about what God is asking me to do. Sometimes God asks us to do pretty big things or maybe even small things outside of our comfort zones, Right? Who likes operating outside your comfort zone? Anybody? That can be tough to do. So sometimes when God asks us to do something bigger than what we think we are or different than what we're used to, it can make us afraid. But if, if we have to understand, it, when he told Peter that he could step out of the boat, he already had him on the water. Right? So we have to understand that when he, when he asks us to do something, even if it's larger than what we had imagined or if it's outside of our comfort zone, he's got us because he ordained it to happen. Week two was fear about what others think of me. When we get to the place where we care more about what God thinks of us than what others think about us, then we're going to see something amazing happen in our lives, Amen. right? When we make sure that everything we do is lining us up with the word of God and my behavior and my attitude and my morals and everything I do is about is geared toward pleasing God instead of pleasing other people, then we'll see a miraculous transformation in who we are and what we do and what we have. I believe that. And today we're going to talk about another fear, another fear that I have dealt with throughout my life and I have finally conquered this fear and it's one I had to deal with that was put in me from a very small child and it's fear about my standing with God that got quiet who's ever been afraid about your standing with God and about if you're going to go to heaven or not right you're afraid about that. And when, when I was little, my mom, my mom was a singer, and, and she would sing, and she didn't need a microphone. She, was, she, had, like, she had a strong voice, and she'd play the piano. We lived across the street from our elementary school, and my sister's sixth-grade teacher would, would make them keep the windows open because we lived right across the street, and she could hear my mom singing and playing the piano. And it, of course, embarrassed my sister, but my teacher loved it. So my mom was a singer, and my mom, you know, always talked to me about God and going to heaven and what God had for my life and the plans he had for me and all this kind of stuff. But I was so scared that I wasn't ready to go to heaven that when she would sing, she'd be sitting on the couch, and I would sit at her feet. I was like six, seven, eight years old, and I would hold on to her legs really tight. No lie. She'd say, Scott, why are you holding on to my legs? I said, because if Jesus comes and takes you away, I'm going to go with you. <laughs> I was that freaked out about not making it to heaven. 
I was that unsure of my salvation that I was trying to hold on to her physically so I would go to heaven if she went. And you know what she said? It doesn't work that way. And that made me even more freaked out. Because I knew if she went to heaven, I was in the house by myself. I had nobody take care of me and she was gone. I was by myself and I was going to hell. Six, seven, eight years old. That's pretty freaky for a kid. How about this? Whose parent taught you this prayer? Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake. I pray the Lord my soul to At five and six years old. Come on. That is just putting fear in a kid. If you do that, please stop. Seriously. If I die. That means I could die before I wake up. No kid wants to think about if if a kid is introspective at all, a kid's gonna be scared to go to sleep. Forget the boogeyman under the bed. I don't want to die in my sleep. So you can see at an early age how I struggled with I was always, always concerned about my standing with God. And if he would if he would decide to come back for his church, I would not go anywhere, that I would be stuck and I would be on earth and I would go to hell eventually. As a serious, serious concern of mine. Scripture does say to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but it doesn't mean to live in fear. Because Scripture also says that he hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love and a sound mind. Right? That's what, that's what the Spirit of God gives us. So today I want to get us past the fear of, of where we stand with God. Is that okay? Now I'm going to need some participation a little bit going forward. But I want to get us past... The, the, the fear that, that I'm, the, right this moment, I'm going to hell. Some of us have lived our entire relationship with God afraid that we're not going to be saved. When I was a kid and we had testimony service at church, that would go on and sometimes you wouldn't have any idea what people were going to say. And that's eventually why it would stop because you didn't know what people were going to say. Say all kinds of crazy stuff because people are crazy, right? We established that a few weeks ago. I'm crazy, you're crazy, we're all crazy, we're crazy together. But a lot of people would end their testimony with, pray my strength in the Lord that I can just make it in. Now, I don't know where in the Bible that's, that's abundant life or, or victorious living, but some people would say, just pray my, just, just, I just want to make it in. Well, I, I have to be honest with you. I feel pretty secure in my relationship with God. I'm not boasting. I'm not bragging. But I know who he is. And I know the love that he has for me. I know the thoughts that he thinks toward me. And I know what his word says about my salvation. And I'm, I'm going to prove it to you later. But, but just understand that you don't need to live in fear about your status with God. Growing up, I was convinced I was going to hell. Convinced. And all the prayers and the songs my mom sang and me holding on to her legs only further reinforced that I was a goner. I was going to see the devil. That's really what I thought and what I believed. I was scared. Not fun. No way to live. And that's not how God intends for us to live. Because how can we share a a loving God? How can we share a gracious God that wants the best for somebody if we're scared of him? And we think we're going to hell all the time. We can't do that. So let me say this at the beginning. I'm going to get this out of the way in case some of you check out on me. Because it's it's warm in here. And you might go to sleep. But in the beginning, I, I just want to get this out of the way. My salvation is not in daily jeopardy. Your salvation is not in daily jeopardy. And I'm going to circle back around to that. So let's, let's look at the shepherd's story. In Luke chapter 2, 
Scripture says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord, sorry, I have a cold, shone around them, and they were terrified. They were afraid. But the angel said to them, Don't, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news. Right? King James says tidings, but NIV says, I bring good news. And that's why I want to use this. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. The Lord. So the angel appeared to them out in the field. And they were taking care of the flocks and they were scared. And the angel said, what? Fear not. I bring to you good news. Everybody say good news. So what is the good news? The good news is it's Jesus. The good news is the gospel. Who's heard of the good news? The, the gospel called good news, right? The good news is the gospel. I bring you the gospel because a savior has been born. And if a savior is coming, if a king is being born, proclamations would go out, right? Royal decrees signed with wax and rings and all those kinds of stuff and tied up in, 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 in parchment and sent out. Proclamations and decrees would be written. And, and why did the angels go to the shepherds? Because who were they? They were nobody. The shepherds didn't rate when it came to getting proclamations they were they they weren't respected shepherds weren't they weren't respected the the job of shepherd was all was was mostly given to the youngest son that didn't matter hello david right the the job of shepherd was given to the most insignificant they weren't trusted they weren't liked they were dirty scripture even called shepherds loathsome right so, so it wasn't a high-ranking position, so why should the proclamation go? Well, it's, it's, no, it, it's no wonder that later in Scripture, the Bible says that Jesus came of no reputation. And he's called the good shepherd, right? So he came in that vein. He came lowly and meek. He came of no reputation. So he had the angels go to the shepherds to proclaim his birth. So, so they were scared. Angels said, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you the good news. You wouldn't want your daughter to marry a shepherd. Because there's no advancement. You take care of sheep your whole life and you die. Right? You might get a bigger herd. But you're still going to stink. You're still not going to be respected. You're still going to be dirty. You're going to smell like a sheep. Your daughter is going to end up smelling like a sheep. Right? So that's, that's who they were. And the shepherds were rejected by religion. Why? Because their, their, their sheep required 24-7 attention. That meant they couldn't keep the Sabbath holy. Right? They worked. They took care of their flocks. They couldn't make it to the prayers and, and the hand washings and all the things that everybody had to do. They were rejected by religion. They felt distant from God for a few reasons, and we can identify with them. Number one, they were unworthy. They were unworthy. They felt unworthy. You're not good enough for religion. Your status isn't what it should be. You're not good enough for, for religion, so you're not good enough for God. They, they stayed in the field all the time. They stunk. They weren't, they weren't high on the, the social ladder. They felt distant and, and unclean, like some of us feel when we come in the church. Who's had, you don't have to raise your hand right now. You will later, but not right now. Who has, can identify with the fact that maybe you've done some things throughout the week that you know you shouldn't do, and you walk into church on Sunday morning and you feel unclean, and you feel unworthy, and you feel distant from God? Well, maybe that's how they felt. Maybe you have the attitude of you don't know where I've been and, and you don't know what I've done and I don't deserve what Jesus did for me. Well, none of us do. And we've all done different things, but we've all done stuff. We've all got different things, but we've all got stuff. 
We have to understand that none of us deserve what Jesus did for us. None of us are worthy of what Jesus did for us, but he did it for all of us so we could all be saved. Right? So they felt unworthy. They felt inadequate. They compared themselves to others. Have you ever been guilty of comparing yourself to somebody else who has a better car or more money or maybe they're more fit than you or maybe their spouse is hotter than yours or, or whatever it is? Maybe you compared yourself with somebody else and it made you feel inadequate. Sometimes we look at other people and we think they have it more together than we do. Maybe you think because somebody can sing or because somebody wears nice clothes at church, they've got it more together than you. We don't see behind the curtain. We don't see behind the curtain. We've all got our challenges. You may have more money than somebody else, but your challenge is somewhere else. Right? Just because somebody looks like they have it together more than you doesn't mean they do. Maybe they know how to package it better. Right? Maybe they know how to put the facade on a little bit better than you do. Maybe they have more degrees or more money or maybe they can sing better. Maybe they can quote more scripture. Whatever it is, it's irrelevant. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. You be the best you that you can be. You be the you that God has designed you to be and he's happy with that. Right? You be the you that God designed you to be and he's okay. You try to be somebody else and he's, he's going to have to try to get you back on the right path. Don't compare yourself to, to somebody else because it leads to feelings of inadequacy and, that, and that's not what God designed us to be. Don't be afraid of who you are. Don't be afraid of who God designed you to be. Be that person and be secure in it. Maybe they felt unloved. They weren't trusted. People weren't clamoring to be around them. They weren't the most likely to succeed in class. They were shepherds. Right? Maybe they felt unloved. They were uneducated. They were dirty. They weren't the right people, so they were shepherds. They were the last son, so they were the shepherd. They were maybe not the smartest one of the litter. They were the shepherd. Some of us can't imagine God's love for us because we feel unloved or maybe unlovable. No matter who you are, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. We celebrate this because Jesus came to earth. And he came to earth to seek and to save you. And to seek and to save me. But what we know about the shepherds that maybe they didn't even realize, but they needed a savior. Because religion didn't work for them. Right? It only made them feel more distant from God. Religion was their enemy. Religion didn't work for them. And religion doesn't work for us. Religion does not work for us. Jesus didn't come to the world to bring religion. He came to free us from it. He came to free us from it and to give us something better. The problem with religion is that it reduces Christianity to a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts. If I do the right thing, I feel better about myself. Right? If I do the right thing, I feel better about myself. If I don't do the wrong thing, I feel better about myself. And it's all about what I do and what I can do. I, I don't do this and this and I don't do this and this. So I must be a good person. I must be on the right track. I must be who God wants me to be. Religion simply gives us a, a checklist to live by. It's paint by numbers. Who remembers those things? When I was a kid, paint by numbers. Number four is blue. You fill all the blues in. You follow the directions. Before you know it, you got a parrot. Or something. Something random. 
Because all you did was follow the numbers. If all we do is follow a checklist, we have something that somebody designed for us to have. And Jesus didn't come for us to have a pre-designed template. He came for us to have an authentic relationship with him that grows and that, and that it, it, it penetrates every part of our life. It invades who we are. It invades who we want to be. And, and the plans that we have for our life suddenly melt away and his plans take precedence over everything. Religion also creates this. If, if, if you don't do what I do, or if you do what I don't do, right, Dr. Seuss, it makes me better than you. It makes you feel better about yourself when you are, are better than somebody else because you, you do more or maybe don't do some things. That's what religion gets you. Jesus quickly let people know how he felt about religion when he started his ministry. He called people hypocrites, full of dead men's bones. Christianity was never meant to be about religion, but a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why he came. He is the good news. He is the good news. So how does this apply 2,000 years later? Paul said this. You have to keep in mind that Paul was a persecutor of the Christians. He had people thrown in jail. He had people killed that were worshiping Jesus, that were, that were spreading the good news. He was the enemy of them until he had an encounter with Jesus. Right? And, and when he was blinded, his sight restored, and he was saved. And, and he became the most prolific preacher of the New Testament. Wrote most of the New Testament that we read today. So we're going to read from Romans chapter 3. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. So the law doesn't save us. It just makes us aware that we need a Savior. But now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made known to which the law of the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. You can't earn God's acceptance through law. You can't be good enough for God by trying to obey the law. And this was awesome news for the shepherds because they they knew they couldn't do it. They knew they couldn't. And I know I can't. Imagine in the Old Testament, the Pharisees in, in the beginning of the New Testament, they were trying to obey 613 laws. We have trouble with 10. Right? But the, the greatest thing about this, they were, they were trying to obey 613 laws, and Jesus himself said, okay, here's the deal. You guys know what the deal is. I'm going to narrow it down to two. Love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said all, A-L-L, all-inclusive, everything, all the law of the prophets and everything hinge on these two. When you have those two, everything else works itself out. Could it be that simple? Is it, is it maybe that we have just complicated things so much and, and created so much fear about, about the, the, the mystery of what all this is? That we, that we have created a situation where we live in fear about constantly being afraid. Am I going to hell? Am I going to hell? Am I going to hell? When if we would just focus on two things. Loving God with everything. If you love God with everything in you, your life will show it. That's why you don't really have to worry about anything else. 
You love God with everything you have and everything you are and want to be. And you love your neighbor as yourself. And everything else in your life will reflect that. And you won't have to worry about if you're going to heaven or going to hell. Because your life will be where it's supposed to be. You'll be doing what you're supposed to do. And you won't have to even worry about sin. It's about having focus in the right place. Focus on your relationship with Jesus. Focus on loving him. Focus on serving your your neighbor and loving your neighbor. And you don't have to have time to worry about being afraid of being lost. You're who you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be it. I narrow it down to two things. Everything hinges on these. Love God and love each other. We can't win with the law, but verse 20 says that it shows us that we need a savior. If I ask all of you here today, Some of you might say no, but if I ask every one of us here today, we would say that we're basically good people, right? We'd say we're basically good people. So I have a question for you, and I want to see hands, all right? We say we're basically good people, but we aren't comparing ourselves to God's standard. We need a Savior, and I'm going to tell you, they were all bad people. Who in here has ever lied? Raise your hand. Some of y'all aren't raising your hand, so you're lying in the house of God right now. (laughs) Right now, you're lying. All right, so I saw a lot of hands that we've lied. How many have ever stolen even a grape at the grocery store? If you didn't pay for it, you stole it. It's in your belly when you go through checkout. You're, You're a thief. You stole your grape. You opened a bag of chips for your kid in the store and didn't pay for them. You stole the bag of chips. How many has ever lusted after somebody? Y'all have to raise your don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. If you did that, you're not married. It's called fornication. Because Scripture says if we lust after somebody, we've already done it. Right? You, the deed is done. So if you're single and you lust, it's called fornication. If you're married and lust, it's called adultery. So here's the deal. You are surrounded by and you are one of this group of people in this room. We are liars, we are thieves, and we are adulterers and fornicators. Yeah, we're basically good people. Merry Christmas. Welcome to the Life Center. All this does is show us our need for a Savior. It all points back to Him. Yeah, that was fun, but it just shows us that we need a Savior. We need Jesus to come and change our life. We need what He offers us. We have, when we finally see our sin, because we just all basically said, yeah, I'm a basically good person. But now we just realize we're a liar and a thief at least. You might not have admitted to the adultery or the fornication, but you realize you're a liar and a thief. When we realize our sin, when we realize our sin, we realize the need for his grace. When we revisit that place that says, yes, I may be basically a good person, but I am in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. And when we experience his grace, we experience salvation and take on his name in baptism, we become his. Right? right. We're baptized in his name. We become children of God. We become part of the body of Christ, period. Period. This is all about our fear 
and where we stand with God. My family is my family. Right? My wife, my son, and my daughter. Next to my relationship with God, they are the most important things in my life. If my wife lies to me, that doesn't mean she's not my wife. She's got my name. If my son makes me mad, it doesn't mean he's not my son. He's got my name. He's my kid. I'm not going to disown him because he disappointed me. I'm not going to disown my daughter because she did something I don't like. I may talk to them about it. I may reprimand them. When they were younger, I would have spanked them. They're too old now. Now I just take their phones. It's much easier and much more effective. Because when there's no Instagram and no Snapchat and no all the other stuff they do, or communication with the significant others, right? It's much more effective than a swat on the rear end. I may take care of a situation, but they are my kids. And if you ask me, they are my kids, and I will still die for them. You see where I'm going? You see this? Because we, we live in constant fear about if I do something wrong, I, I'm suddenly, it, the moment we realize we've done something wrong, I'm going to hell. There's a difference between making a mistake and living a life of sin. The prodigal son lived a life of sin for a little while and he left the father's house. But the father stood and waited for him to come back. And the moment he made this mental decision, well, I've got to go back to daddy's house because even the servants have it better than what I have it right now. When he started down the road, the father started toward him, put the ring on him, put the coat on him, kissed him, and had a big old party. Why? Because his son came home. There's a difference between making a mistake and living a life of sin. If all you do is make a mistake, do not be afraid. Do not be, do not, don't live in fear and say, oh, I'm going to hell now. No, you're not. Because you made a mistake. You get up and you move forward. Can we understand that? Can we get that? Your daddy's not going to kick you out because you made a mistake. If we as natural fathers want the best for our kids, this is scripture, how much more does he want the best for us? Our relationship with God is compared to two things. Number one, he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. The second is we're the children of God. Those are the most intimate, caring, loving, and deeply committed relationships we could ever have. And that's what he's done for us. He died for us. And there's something innate in moms and dads that if if you're a good mom and dad, you're going to die for your kids. You're going to do whatever you have to do to make sure they have what they need. They're provided for and they're protected. And that's what he did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave. And Jesus came. We celebrate Christmas because Jesus is here. And we celebrate Easter because he died for our sins so that we can be saved. If my kids disobey me, I don't kick them out. We work through it. One of the funniest memories I have is, is one time I was getting on Tristan. And, and he was, you know, he, I don't know what he had done. But I could tell he was mad. He was sideways with me, and I was getting on him. I was letting him have it. And I just stopped. I looked at him. I said, you're calling me names in your head, aren't you? (laughs) He said, yes. (laughs) That was one of my greatest memories as a parent because I I realized that I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm laying him out. I'm like letting him have it, not beating him. Just, I'm just like, we're, we're going to town about something. And I look at him and I just tell, he's looking at me like this. I'm like, you're calling me names in your... Because I did it when I was a kid. (laughs) Did that mean I hated him in that moment? That I disowned him? You're no longer my son. I'm like, no, dude. I did that when I was your age, too. This is funny. (laughs) And we worked through it. If you would... if, if, If we, 
would just stop and think how much he loves us. More than I love my kids. More than I love my wife. More than you love anybody in your life that you can see and touch. That's how much he loves us. Just because we make mistakes doesn't mean we're disowned. We're not. Just because we fall doesn't mean that we have to start over. We don't. Just because we sin doesn't mean that we're lost. We're not. As soon as we repent, as soon as we say, God, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to live this life. I don't want to do this. The Bible says he forgets about it. I remember stuff my kids have done. I remember arguments my wife and I have had. He forgets. He chooses to forget what I've done. We need to stop living in fear. Fear not, for I bring you good news. A mistake doesn't cut you off. When you have his name, you're his. You're his. Religion is what we do or don't do. Religion is what we do or don't do. Relationship is about what Jesus did. It's about what he did. Religion could be spelled D-O, do. Relationship could be spelled done, D-O-N-E. Because the work that he did for us is done. It's complete. He's not finished working in us and through us, but his work for us is complete. He did the work by being here, by living, by ministering, and by dying. And today we celebrate his birth. Religion says if I work hard, I might please God. Religion says if I work hard, I might please God. But relationship says because I understand what Jesus did for me, I want to work hard. I want to give somebody else the freedom that I have. I want somebody else to experience the grace, the mercy, and the love that I experience. And I want to do whatever I can do to impact the kingdom of God, to see it grow daily as it did in the book of Acts.